0: Have you ever needed to be rescued? Okay, so I was in junior high, and I'm brave. I'll do any. I'll try anything once. Okay, which gets you into a lot of trouble, by the way. But uh, so my friends were all determined that they were going to climb this fence, chain link fence, to get into the elementary school so we could hang out. So it was about a 12 foot fence. That's how tall I think it was. But I was in junior high, so it was probably like an eight-foot fence. (laughs) But it felt really tall. So I'm like, all right, that's good. Well, I'm not very agile or physical. Like, I wasn't an athlete. I was, you know, the singing, artsy, fartsy type. So anyways, uh, I decided I would give it a try. And so up to the top of the fence I went, straddled it. (laughs) Now what? I'm trying to figure out how to get the foot turned so in the chain link, and, the, and then I'm looking down, and I absolutely, I sat, I sat up there. I was probably up there an hour. Could, I'm not even kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I know I exaggerate, but I'm not exaggerating this time. Could not. I was trembling. I don't know what it was. I could not get myself that other leg over the side. Couldn't get whatever. Finally, somebody had to work their way up, get my foot, stick it in the chain link, hold on to it, get the other leg, you know. I know I sound like an orthopedic, you know, but it just, you know, I was like, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. I needed to be rescued. Check this out. We could have sat and watched that for the rest of the night. We're all chicks. We love that stuff. Well, last week at the end of the message, we talked about Paul, and Paul had a statement in Romans 7, 24, and he said, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord, we need to be rescued. What I loved about all of these clips, we just asked him to put together, you know, there's like some romantic guys on the other side of the tech team, I'm finding out. So we got to find out which ones are single. We'll pray them in front of you guys so you guys all know. Anyways, that was like pretty romantic. I was overwhelmed by that. So Jesus is my knight in shining armor. Seriously, that's like Jesus to me. Okay, not the kissing part, but you know, that's like Jesus to me, coming in, sweeping me off my feet, and literally just carrying me out of danger, and out of harm's way, and embracing me, and making me his own. That's really who Jesus is to me, and so tonight, we want to talk about that. We've been through all the wounds, we've talked about Christ a lot, but tonight is going to be a night that really is a more doctrinal message in the sense that it really goes through and talks about all the different things that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And I won't cover them all because there's too many. But for many of you, you've heard different things in the church. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has died for me. Those kinds of things. But this is going to really break it down, hopefully, and really give you some meat so to speak, to stand on when it comes to your faith. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6 tonight, predominantly in those two sections, and that's where we're going to be focused. If you're in the sorority book, it is the answer for the wounded heart is the chapter that we're on, the answer for the wounded heart. So our knight in shining armor, Romans 5, beginning at verse 1 through 21 is where we're going to be. But I want to read... Uh, Verse 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Jesus saves us from our wounded heart. That's the ultimate thing. That's the bottom line of everything we've been talking about, and we keep saying it over and over and over again, and tonight we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about how that is done. The first point here in verse 5 is the fact that he pours into our hearts his love. In 1 John four sixteen, it reads, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now listen to this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Our hearts will be filled, deposited, poured into the love of God as we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As we intimately grow with him, that love becomes more real to us, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not that we, it's delayed, it's there. God's love is poured into your heart the day that you accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But many of us, it takes us a while to warm up with God and to, to our hearts to expand, to trust him a little bit more, to kind of get where we're, okay, all right, I think this Jesus thing is really real. And it takes some time. I know nobody really ever talks about that, but for some of us, we come to Jesus a little bit with shaky knees because we've been promised so many things we're not really sure. And I stand up here and tell you that the love of God is going to pour into your heart, and some of you are going, "Uh uh-huh, been waiting on that one. Well, I remember the day that I felt love for the first time And one of the things that I do most often when women come to me and ask to be prayed for, if nothing else, is I will stand there, I will put my hand on them, and I will wait, and I will ask that they experience God's love. Because even as we watch those little clips, our hearts were moved. You see, God's love is real, and it's tangible, and it does move the heart. It does transform the heart. It does Soften the heart and it does fill the heart. So I was thinking of flushing of the wound, you know, like doctor stuff. And so I looked it up because I wanted to get all, you know, official on you. So I looked up wound flushing and basically. The whole idea of when there's a wound and you're in the emergency room and they come with saline or whatever and they flush it out, the whole reason is to get the debris that was in there, to remove the risk of infection, to get all the nasty stuff that's already in there that's that's possibly there. And flushing the wound also helps prevent, now listen to this, the surface from healing over and possibly keeping an infection brewing underneath the surface. You see, when we started this whole thing about the wounds, that's really what we were doing is we were opening up the top, our strong exterior, our facade, so to speak, that has covered over all that raw stuff that's inside so that we can look presentable, but inside there's festering infection and festering wounds. And the love of God is what will come in and flush that out the other thing that happens, wound flushing is used to remove dead tissue and foreign debris. You know, we are dead in sin. Before Christ Jesus, we're dead in sin. And there is dead debris in our hearts. And there's extra stuff in there that shouldn't be there. We've talked about unforgiveness. We've talked about um, shame and guilt and All the different things that we can bear and carry up in our heart. And it's the love of God that literally will come and flush that through. It's the love of God that enables us to forgive others. It's the love of God that enables us to embrace others. It's the love of God that enables us to have compassion for others. It's the love of God that enables us to see others the way Jesus would see them. It's the love of God that enables us to see us the way God sees us. And so, is your heart open to God's love? Are you willing to let him flush out your heart? And for many, you've accepted Jesus. But maybe it's been a while since you've really been in a place with God that you just sit with him and you let him have your heart and let him touch it and let him work on it and let him do some surgery on it. And maybe you need to do that. For some of you, you may have never Gotten brave enough to give your heart to Jesus. It's the flushing that comes that removes all that debris. It's His love. Jesus saves us from our wounded heart and He also reconciles us. Jesus reconciles us to a right relationship with God. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever experienced a relationship that's been irreconcilable. Unfortunately, I have. And there's nothing more painful, especially when it's a family member. Well, no matter what you do, especially when you're a pastor and a Christian, and you're supposed to be able to make it all right with everybody in your family, and sometimes it doesn't happen because it depends on both sides. Well, God, through Jesus Christ, did his part. And unless we receive him and do our part, it's irreconcilable. So he did his part through Christ. But our part is being able to receive what Christ has done for us, to accept that reconciliation. In verse 9, Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word reconciled here, as it pertains to God, means that he ceases to be offended. I had a friend, I think she might actually be in this room, tell me once that her mother had taught her that it's just as easy to give an offense as it is to to take one on. And our sin is offensive to God by the mere nature that God is holy and we are not. So to be reconciled to God means that he's no longer offended by us because our sin has been washed away. Reconciliation also means that he grants his favor anew to us and he pardons us of our sin. In old English law, I find this very interesting. The offenses or breaches, um, breaks of the law in the king's kingdom, was considered an offense against the king's peace. Breaking of the law was an offense against the king's peace. It also was considered that the offense was committed, it was against the peace of our Lord King, his crown, and dignity, is the way it's actually written in documents. That an offense was committed, it was against the peace of our Lord King, his crown, and his dignity. You see, that's what our sin is. Our sin is an offense against the Lord King's peace, against his crown, and against his dignity. And yet he has made a way so that we no longer will be an offense, and we will be washed clean, and we will be pardoned of our sin. Jesus saves us from our wounded heart. He reconciles us to a right relationship with God. And Jesus takes suffering, and he turns it into hope. As we've talked about the different wounds, if you have gained nothing else, I hope that the stories that we've shared in here together have at least given you hope that God can do something with whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in. That you are not beyond the power of God to change. You are not beyond the power of God to heal. You are not beyond the power of God to deliver, to transform, to renew, to rectify to do miracles. I hope, if nothing else, you know that he will take our suffering and turn it into hope. Verse 3 through 5. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. I'm working on that one. Any of you exulting in tribulation yet? We're trying to get there. Knowing that tribulation brings perseverance and perseverance brings proven character and proven character brings hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out, here we are again, within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Hope here means joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Hopeful, confident, joyful expectation of eternal salvation. When God's love is in you and it's tangible and it's real and you know it and you feel it and you experience God working in your heart, you know that he is but a breath away. He's right there. And in that, it is the deposit. The scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit in us is the deposit of the things to come. So it's the four knowledge that what you feel and experience inside and I'm not all about feelings but I'm trying to get a point across and that is that God's love is real and it's tangible. It's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. And when we're in love relationships even with a girlfriend and we just we just they're like our friend, you know, they're our our girl. We can count on them. We hang together. There is like a bond in that and it's a real love. And that's what is it we can experience in Christ. A pastor from Louisville, Kentucky, his name is Robert Russell, tells a story of where about 20 years ago or so when the Vietnam War is longer than that. Now, this this might be an older one, but um, during the Vietnam War time, at Christmas, they had their lights up, and January came, and everybody took their lights down except for one family. They kept their lights up, and they kept them on every night, and it went all the way through January, and then it went into February, and then it went into March, and he started making comments about why are these people so lazy? They don't want to take down their lights. At least they could do is turn them off. They got, you know, Christmas going on for months here, and then about mid-March, there was a sign in the front yard that explained why the lights were on every night, and it says, welcome home, Jimmy. They found out later that they turned those lights on every night with hopeful expectation of a reconciled and unified relationship would come back again with with their son Jimmy from Vietnam. It was their way of keeping hope burning. It was their way of hanging in there, believing and hoping and dreaming and expecting that Jimmy was going to come home and they were going to keep those lights going until he did. Your hope is not in vain. Your hope for what Jesus Christ will do in your life and what he has in store for you is real. It's powerful. And if you get nothing else from testimonies when people share their stories, that is what stirs us up to to believe and to have hope that God can do the same thing in and for us. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But when you have someone who's just crossed over to the other side, all of a sudden becomes, heaven becomes extremely real. And you start to think about heaven a lot more than those of us that walk through this life every day. What is heaven going to be like? In Revelation, it promises that there will be no sorrow, there will be no tears. <laughs> now, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> do you know how much money I'm going to save on Kleenex? I cried everything. There's going to be no tears. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no pain. Advil's going out. Advil's out. We don't know what it feels like to live in that kind of world. But that is our hope. And the light of Jesus Christ inside of you is what you turn on every day in hopeful expectation until you get to go home and be with Jesus for eternity. That's your light. What's inside of you? The Spirit of God burning inside of you is the light of hope. Jesus saves us. He reconciles us. He gives us hope, and Jesus died to heal our wounded hearts. Verse 6 through 8, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This section of scripture always gets a hold of me because two things. One is, many of us think we have to get it together before we can come to Christ because we want him to accept us. Girls, If he could have accepted us the way we were, he wouldn't have had to die. And so he knows the state we're in. He gets it. And he died anyway. He died on your very worst day. On your very worst day, he knew. And he's extending his love to you anyways. But the other reason this passage is important is because many of us get that when we come to Christ, but we forget that as we walk with Christ. We forget when we fail or we trip or we stumble or we fall flat on our face that Jesus still takes us where we are. And the minute we turn and we confess our sin to him and we ask him for forgiveness, he immediately is there and washes us clean and restores us and renews us and puts us back into right relationship with God again. The moment that we turn to him and ask for forgiveness I am not a soloist by any means, so you're going to have to help me. But the best um, way that I could explain this point is the song that many of you know, so you're going to have to sing it with me once I get started. Let's hope I start in a key that we can all follow. (laughs) This could be scary. I weighed this
1: all day. Do we dare try this? (laughs) Come just as you are. Hear the spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Life everlasting. Strength for today. Taste the living water and never thirst again come just as you are hear the spirit call come just as you are come and see come receive come and live forevermore
0: That's what that passage means.
1: Come just as you
0: are. Whether today is the first day that you've ever reached out to Jesus or the millionth time you've ever reached out to Jesus, taste and see, for the Lord is good. Jesus saves us. He reconciles us. He gives us hope. He's died for us. And Jesus cleanses us and releases us from sin. And I love this condemnation. We are so good at condemning ourselves and not so bad at condemning others as well. Just, you know, once in a while. And so we uh, have this way of pronouncing things upon ourselves and pronouncing things upon others. I love that Jesus comes and washes us. You see, in order to be condemned, there has to be something to condemn you for. And if Jesus comes and washes you clean and cleanses you, then there's no condemnation because there's nothing there to condemn you for. Have you ever felt completely in bondage to your sin, entangled, wrestling with that sin nature and just really struggling with trying to get yourself on the right track? You see, that's what really this is all about. In the Middle Ages, there was an smith. That was known for his work, and he used to make chains. And he had a reputation for making chains that had no flaws in them, that you could not undo, you could not break apart. Well, he committed a crime, and he was thrown into prison. And when he was put into prison, they put him into chains so that he would not escape. And so while he was in prison, he knew that most ironsmiths, when they made chains, there was a flaw. And so he looked for the flaw in the chains so that he could get free and then he noticed some markings on the chains that indicated that these were the chains that he made and he gave up trying because he knew he wouldn't be able to get them undone I don't know about you but I'm the one that's pretty much much enchained myself And they're chains that I could not get off by myself. They were chains that I couldn't undo. They were chains that no amount of therapy and no amount of anything else. And I don't undermine therapy because it's important. But you know what? That alone does not loose the chains, girls. The only thing that breaks through the chains is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can really set us free from our bondage. And this was the plight of man since Adam. When Adam comes into the picture, I'm blaming Adam. They over there will blame Eve. It all works. Okay? <laughs> so, since the plight of Adam, because he's the head, of course, after all. And so, I'm kidding. Adam, he, we were bound by our chains. There, was no lo- there were no loopholes to escape. The wages of sin is death. But I want you to look at Romans chapter 5 with me, beginning at verse 12. I'm going to just read through different verses, so I'll tell you where I'm at. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, nevertheless death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him, meaning Jesus, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression or the sin of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So one sin brought sin and death into all the world, and one act of grace and sacrifice extended mercy, sanctification, and grace to all mankind. Verse 18, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Love that. Jesus saves us. He reconciles us. He gives us hope. He died for us. He removes condemnation. How many of you are still sitting in condemnation in here? See, that's a lie if you are. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He's broken the chains, He's washed you clean. Jesus also gives us His righteousness. In verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Up in Washington State, there was a sheep farm, and a a doctor visited the sheep farm, and he saw this ewe go across the, the road, and then this little lamb followed the ewe across the road, and the lamb looked so strange. He was looking at it, and it had six legs, and two of them were kind of flopping around in the back, and it looked like the skin was being torn off the animal. And he was looking at it, he was trying to figure this out. And so he asked the sheep farmer what was going on, or sheep herder. I guess you don't farm sheep, you herd sheep, yes? (laughs) No planting of sheep? (laughs) Oh, good, you're still awake a little. Okay, so sheep herder. And what he explained was this, that the mother ewe, had lost her lamb to a rattlesnake bite, and the lamb died. And she was, went into depression and remorse. And they had a lamb whose mother died, so they tried to put the lamb with the ewe, but the ewe sniffed the lamb, and it didn't have the same genes, and it didn't have the same family smell. Now, if you have athletes in your home, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Okay. <laughs> There is a family smell, all right? And she doesn't notice the family smell. So she would reject the lamb. So what they did is they skinned her lamb. They placed it as a covering over this other lamb and left its legs on the back. And as she sniffed it, what she did is she recognized it as being from her genes, from her family smell, and she embraced it as her own. We are not righteous apart from Christ Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, he has given us his righteousness. In exchange for our life, we give him our life and he gives us his life. I think we get the better deal. We get his righteousness. So when the Lord, Father God, takes a peek at us, a little sniff, if you want to call it that, he smells the family genes He knows that you bear the very essence of his Son when you are in Christ. You look like his Son. You smell like his Son. You talk like his Son. You act like his Son. You have the genes of his Son. And he adopts you and takes you in as his own. And he fathers you. And he loves you because you bear the righteousness of Christ. He takes our unrighteousness And he gives us his righteousness. Now, the lie that we all believe is that we lose his righteousness. Now, we have a choice whether we're going to walk in it or not. But his righteousness has been given to you. What will you do with it? Will you choose to walk in it and make choices that are righteous and line up with the righteousness of Christ, that literally really look like Christ? Or will you choose not to walk in righteousness? Some days, I don't do so good. But the beautiful thing is, what, same thing, I'm going to keep repeating myself. The minute we go back and we ask for forgiveness, we're restored. But the righteousness doesn't just drain out, okay? You are righteous in Christ. Do you know who you are? Do you know you bear the image of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you know that you are part of his gene pool? Do you know that you've been adopted by Father God? You have been given his righteousness. Well, this wounded heart that Jesus, this wounded heart has been saved by Jesus. It's been reconciled to God by Jesus. He has given us hope in our hearts. He has died for us. He has removed our condemnation, and he has given us his righteousness, and now it's time for us to experience new life. We need to experience new life. So let's look at chapter 6, death and resurrection of the heart. We have died to sin, the scripture teaches us. We've died to sin. In verse 1, chapter 6, "'What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so the grace, that grace may increase?' By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Grace is a gift not to be taken lightly. Just because we know there is grace and we can turn to God immediately and ask for forgiveness, we need to get to where we understand how so precious that is, that it's our heart's desire not to have to go there, but that we actually allow God to transform us to where we walk in his righteousness more fully each day. I'm too old for this, we have a new dog. (laughs) My 21-year-old daughter worked on her dad, and worked on her dad, and worked on her dad, until we got Bella. So Bella is now part of our home. Now, when Bella came, she was two and had been trained. Now she lives in my house. (laughs) And we all think Bella is so darn cute. So I let Bella get away with certain things, and Amy lets Bella get away with other things, and Richard, who thinks he's really tough, really lets Bella get away with murder. And now what's happened is Bella is running amok. Now she jumps over anybody that walks in the door. She's scratching the glass outside. She barks at everything. She sits outside, just crying the whole time until we let her in. It's just pathetic. You wonder what this has to do with anything. <laughs> Our sin nature was brought under control. It was actually crucified in Christ. We were given the nature of Jesus. But the more we let ourselves, you know, just run amuck a little, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little thing I wanted to do. It's no big deal. I'm just crossing, you know, just a line a little. See, I'm not going to name the sins because y'all know what they are. The more we do that, we become like Bella. And we just start, you know, acting all unruly again and acting like we don't know Christ again, running amok because we're allowing our flesh to rule instead of our spirits. You see, the Spirit of God inside gives you the fruit of Self-control which we don't talk about in this society very often, and I need to work on, we need self-control. But it's the fruit of the Spirit of God, so as you feed the Spirit of God, as you allow the Spirit of God to grow in you, to be unleashed in you as you act like Jesus, then self-control comes out, and then you are not unruly, and people will let you into their home, and you won't be jumping all over everybody or whining, or crying, or carrying on, or chewing things up, and running amok. We have died to sin. We need to learn to think that way. We need to learn to live that way. We need to learn to realize that we're actually different than the rest of the world, because sin no longer has power over us unless we give it to him. We can give power back to sin. Are you willing, are you ready to walk in victory? We've died to sin and we have died with Christ. Now this is baptism, is a symbol of that, symbol, emblem, symbol of that. We have died with Christ. Verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You cannot experience resurrection unless you're dead. You can't, there's no resurrection for something that's alive, it's already alive. Dying to Christ is the whole key to the whole Christian life. And when Pastor Chuck talks about accepting him as your Savior, it is also accepting him as your Lord. It's not just an insurance policy. It literally is exchanging your life for his. It's saying, I'm not going to be in control anymore. I'm going to let you be in control. I'm not going to determine my destiny, Lord God. I'm going to, I want you to determine my destiny. You are the one that has my life. I will do anything for you. It's yours. I'm going to give up my wants and all those things, and I'm going to lay it at the cross. Now, the beautiful thing is, is that God turns around and gives it all back to us. He lets us dream. He lets us have these wonderful expectations. We get exciting victories. We have wonderful things that go on. I just love the Pastor Chuck gets so excited about life. I'm working on that. Because we should be excited. We should be excited because we've died with Christ, and we have been resurrected with him. We should be living resurrected lives. That means lives that are kind of above all the stuff. Lives that are resurrected above the mire, above the the garbage of the world, the stuff that sticks to us. We should be living above that. We are alive in Christ. Verse 5, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Same thing I just said. Well, that's the dying part. Dying to sin and dying with Christ and the symbol of that is baptism. That's why Baptism is so important because we need to tangibly experience this. this um, it's a worship experience of literally going under and coming up out of. And it helps us to cement that in our thinking and in our heart and in our mind when we go through baptism. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, it's an amazing experience. And I really encourage you to pray through that. And we're just going to finish up with this last point. We are raised with Christ to live a new life. Our lives are really supposed to be different after Christ. We're really supposed to have victory. For women, I think the biggest challenge is what we believe in our heads. It's what we carry with us. It's things that people have said to us or we've said to ourselves or things that have happened that we just continue to believe more than we believe Jesus. Things that we believe about ourselves more than we believe what God would say about us. I know this was a lot of scripture, and it's kind of going through one point after another, but I hope that maybe you have a fuller understanding of some of the things that Jesus did for you. This is our last night together here, In January, we're going to pick this up again for those of you that would like to continue, and we're going to do it on Thursday nights alongside the men. And um, so I hope you will come back and join us. But tonight, before we enter this holiday season, I just want you to really think about where you are with the Lord. Sometimes we've accepted Christ and we really don't know what we've done. And then we've just gone off and continued to live life the way we used to. And sometimes we're just afraid because we know how bad we are. But you see, the beauty of it is is that while you were yet sinners, while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. And so I hope that before we leave here tonight, if there's anybody who is ready to recommit their life to Christ and really begin to walk in this fullness and allow the love of God to really flood your heart, I pray that tonight you will experience his love like you never have before. That tonight you will be embraced by his love, even now while I'm speaking. That his love will minister to you and minister to your heart and heal the wounds of your soul. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will consider doing that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot do... All that you've done justice it is so hard to explain with words the incredible things that you've accomplished for each one of us on the cross and so Lord I'm going to ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would make it known to each woman to each woman's heart to each woman's mind I pray that you will break through lies that are binding them in their thought patterns Lord that you will break through Untruth that has embedded itself into their hearts and that you will set them free, that they can truly walk a life of freedom, a life of hope, a life, Lord God, of victory, a life of transformation. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here tonight that just really needs to take that step to get serious with you and recommit their life to Christ or to take that first step and just say, it's time, And maybe they don't have you all figured out, but Lord, they might just have a little bit of faith, enough to know that they need you, Jesus. I pray that you would touch those hearts tonight, that you would stir within them, that it would not be my words that they hear, Lord God, but it would be your spirit. For those of you that are in a good relationship with God, I pray that you'll keep praying. But for those of you that you know that this is speaking to you tonight, I'm going to ask you, if you want to pray this prayer, recommitment, or this prayer of invitation, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, and accepting all that we talked about tonight, knowing that He's going to flood your heart with His love, that He's going to flush out your heart and fill it with His love that passes, just is amazing and will embrace you in a new way. If God's speaking to you tonight and you want to pray that prayer with me, will you raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with and we'll pray together? Is there anybody here tonight that needs to pray that prayer? God bless you, honey. Any others? Raise it high. It's dark. I can't see. Okay, last call. God bless you. God bless you in the back and you in the back. Anyone else? Is God tugging on your heart? Okay, for those of you that raised your hand, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for accepting me where I am. Thank you for dying for me. And Lord, I just accept you and acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior. And I give you my life in exchange for yours. I ask that you will fill my heart with your love and that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit. I commit my life to you, Lord Jesus. And I give you praise and I thank you for loving me just where I am. In Jesus' name, amen.